Good evening. This evening's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 to 14, and that can be found on page 971 of the Church Bibles. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 to 14. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you, Laura, for reading for us. Thank you, band, for leading us in our songs. Um, we've come tonight one week later than planned uh, to the end of 2 Corinthians. Um, and as we come to this uh, closing of this letter, which has taught us so much over the last uh, two terms, let's give thanks and let's pray for the Lord's help as we look at it tonight. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for all that you have taught us over uh, two terms as we've gone through it bit by bit. Thank you for the way that you've helped us and changed us through this time. And as we come to the end tonight, Lord, we pray for the same thing. We pray that you'd help us to understand what your word says and that by your spirit you would change us uh, to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've reached the end. Paul has been writing his letter out of concern for the Corinthians. Having been Christians a while, they're wavering. It's not that they want to abandon Christianity altogether. It's not quite the same situation as Hebrews that we saw in the morning. No, they don't want to abandon it altogether. It's that they're tempted to opt for an easier and more appealing option in terms of their Christian faith. They're attracted by a false version of Christianity, of Christian ministry, one which plays down the problem of sin in their lives and stops challenging them about it. And it's one that promises them relief from suffering, that they could be more successful and more powerful in the culture. But why is this false version of Christian ministry so appealing to them? And why might it be appealing to us today? Well, I think there are at least two reasons that the letter gives us for why they felt that way. Sometimes living an authentic Christian life, it feels difficult. Fighting both personal sin and loving other sinners 
is a challenge to us. We feel that. The Corinthians felt that too. We want to fight against our sinful thoughts and our sinful words and actions, but sometimes we feel, look, it would just be much easier if we could give in to our temptations. We want to get right with people who've upset us and who we've upset, but it would be much easier if we could just ignore the issues. And this alternative version of Christianity promises that you can leave that struggle behind. This alternative version of Christian ministry will stop challenging you to repent of your sin and it will simply affirm you in whatever you're doing. No more need for repentance. It struck me as we were singing Psalm 51 earlier that we would never sing that psalm in this form of Christianity that's being proposed to the Corinthians. Too much sin, too much need for repentance. It would be appealing for that to all go away. That sounds much easier. The second reason it's appealing is that in the authentic Christian life, there is pressure and persecution from the world, and also from the worldly church. There's pressure to conform to a version of Christianity that's more palatable to others. There'll be times when we're tempted to opt for a more popular version of Christian ministry in the world's eyes, one which drops the parts of God's word that we don't like, and one which presents a gospel that is more acceptable to our friends and less offensive to our culture. Wouldn't you like that? To have the world commend you for being their kind of Christian? It's appealing. That's what's being offered to the Corinthians, and that's what they're beginning to buy into. It's a sin-downplaying, repentance-free, culturally acceptable form of Christianity, one which will gain you commendation from the world. But Paul knows that to go with what these folks are saying is to begin down a path that, leads with, that ends with a full abandonment of Jesus. It is a false gospel, a false spirit, and a false Jesus that you end up with. It is ultimately to be pulled into hell. The stakes are high, and Paul loves this church. And so he's been trying to convince them, to persuade them, don't go that way. Instead, return to the true Christian gospel, to authentic Christian ministry, and to a genuine Christian lifestyle. And the last chapter, these last verses that we're looking at tonight, is Paul's final appeal to them. There are very several appeals all the way through the letter. This is the final one. It's a conclusion to all that he's been saying. Here it is. It's just two words at the beginning of verse 5. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Now, there are plenty of students uh, here tonight, and you know something about exams. I know you won't thank me for mentioning it, but it is now March, and there are some coming up just uh, around the corner. Most of us can't stand examinations, can we? We're anxious about them, we're fearful of them, 
We know they're important to go through. We know they give an accurate picture about the truth about ourselves in regard to our knowledge of our subject. But basically, we hate them. And many of us at some point will have failed them miserably. We hate exams. So Paul's command to examine yourselves, well, that might not be something we particularly want to hear. We don't want to be examined by others, let alone examine ourselves. But Paul thinks it's important for the Christians, so important that he says it twice. He says it in a different way in verse 5. Examine yourselves and then later test yourselves. Christians are to conduct from time to time self-examination. Now, if you're going to pass it, this is a top tip for any students there. If you're going to pass a test, you need to know what you're going to be examined on. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, examine yourselves in regard to what? What is it that we're going to be tested on? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, what does that mean? Whether you are in the faith. He means that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are living in authentic Christian conduct that lines up with the authentic Christian gospel. He means for them to look at their lives and their church and see if the way that they are living is in accord with the Bible, with the teaching of the apostles, with the faith. Now, it would help us, I think, to hear what Paul says the apostolic teaching, uh, the true gospel, the faith, is uh, in 2 Corinthians. And if I had to pick uh, one place to do that, it would be from chapter 4. Maybe just flick back uh, to chapter 4. Paul says in uh, verse 2 that he has renounced disgraceful underhanded ways, that he refuses to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. His ministry is that of the open statement of the truth from God's word, from teaching them from the Bible, which he then summarizes as this in chapter 4 verse 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul preaches Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, there's a lot contained in that short sentence. Jesus is God in the flesh. God the Son came down to earth to be born as a human being to save his people from their sins. Jesus lived a perfect life but was hated by those he came to save and so he was crucified, a great act of evil. But what man meant for evil, God meant for good. In God's plan, Jesus was crucified as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. He took our sin upon himself and died in our place under the righteous judgment of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus paid the penalty that our sins deserve so that when we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven. We're declared righteous in his sight and granted eternal life. Jesus died for sins, he was buried, and then he rose on the third day from death, ascended into heaven where he is enthroned. All that is in Jesus Christ, his Lord. This is the authentic Christian gospel, what Paul calls in 13 verse 5, the faith. And it is especially the lordship of Jesus that Paul has been zeroing in on in the last couple of chapters of this letter. Just turn back to chapter 13, and you can see that in chapter 13, verse 3 and 4, just before our passage uh, tonight. Halfway through verse 3, he's been challenging them to repent, and he says, He, Jesus, is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That is to first say to yourselves, do I believe this gospel? But that's not all. It is then to ask yourself, am I living in line with this gospel? In other words, is Jesus Christ my saviour and my Lord? Is he Lord? Verse 5 continues. Test yourselves, or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Jesus is to be Lord of your life. Do you not realise who lives in you by, your, by his Spirit? Jesus Christ himself If you realise this truth, you would bring all of your life under his lordship. So you can no longer say, I can't change, because he has the power to change you. He's the risen Lord Jesus. And you can no longer say, I won't change, because you can't say that and at the same time call him your Lord. If you truly realised who it is who is in you, well, you would repent of what was wrong and return to doing what is right. That's what he says in the next few verses, verse 7 to 9. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. You see, Paul wants these Christians to examine not just what they believe, the true gospel, the truth, but also whether they live in accordance with the truth, whether they're doing what's right and not doing what's wrong. And that means self-examination that leads to repentance. Christians aren't perfect people. They are constantly repentant people. That you may not do wrong and that you may do what is right. That's what Paul's praying. 
Now, he himself is confident that he is working for the truth, that if the test were put to him, that he would pass. But that's not his concern, is it? In fact, he's happy to be viewed as a weak, and a weak failure by others if only this kind of repentance comes about in the lives of these people that he loves. Last week, we saw two particular kinds of sins or sets of sins that the Corinthians had failed to repent of. Despite several warnings, there were social sins, that was 12 verse 20, and sexual sins, verse 21. Their lives in these areas, they weren't consistent with the faith. They weren't living with Jesus Christ as Lord in these areas. And you could go back in the letter and see some of the other things that Paul talks about. He talks about being holy in chapter 7. He talks about giving in chapter 8. And Paul says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Do you not realize that the living Lord Jesus is in your hearts? Come on, it's time to repent of these things. No one likes exams, but that's the command that we're given. Examine yourselves. Test what you believe against the truth of the apostles' teaching in the Bible, and then test whether your life matches up to that teaching, and be repentant when it doesn't. Paul is praying for them that this self-examination well, not that it would lead to depression or despair at themselves or to just giving, fighting sin, giving up fighting sin. He's praying that it will really lead them to repentance. And so for us Christians today, this must become our regular practice, whether we're at the start of our walk with Jesus or at the end of our days. Examine yourselves. Next. Aim for restoration. This is the second part uh, from verse, second part of verse 9 through to the end of uh, the chapter. Aim for restoration. So verse 9, he tells us that he's praying for something else. Your restoration is what we pray for. Now, it's snowed in March, but if you can remember a couple of months ago, it also snowed uh, in January. And in our road, on a snowy, icy morning, a couple of months ago, a car came round the corner. Isaac and I were coming back from sledging in the Braeburn Valley. And about just a minute ahead of us, a car came round the corner. It skidded on some ice, and it slammed into the lamppost outside our house, which then fell over into our front garden. And it, and the, and the, uh, it hit the wall. And the metal railing was all bent out of shape. The plaster all came off the front. Um, everything was um, uh, broken. In fact, there's a little tree in our garden, and you can see there's a sort of lamppost-shaped hole in the top of it um, where it landed. Now, when that happened, there's two, uh, two choices there. You can either just get rid of the wall, you can remove the wall entirely, or you can have it restored. And these guys um, turned up, and they came and looked at the wall, and that's what happened. They, last week, the builders came, and they stripped away all the damage, they took the bricks down, and they rebuilt it, and they made it right again. In fact, they've made it better than it was 
before. They've restored it. That's restoration. The word means taking something that was once good, but which has been damaged, and putting it right. Paul's praying that their self-examination will show them that the damage that's been done and the damage that they're still doing, that it will be exposed to them and that their subsequent repentance will then lead to restoration, to putting things right. So just notice that. Self-examination is not the goal. Paul doesn't want them simply just to sort of come to understand themselves better. He doesn't even just want them to improve themselves through repentance. He does want both of those things, but that's not the goal. That's not the end point. The goal is restoration. That's Paul's hope and his prayer. But restoration of what? What is it that's been damaged that needs sorting out? Well, I think in verses 9 to 14, we're given three answers to that question. Here they are. So the Corinthians need to be restored to Paul and his gospel. They need to be restored to each other. And they need to be restored to God himself. Let's take those one at a time. First of all, restored to Paul and his gospel. So verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in the use of, my author- of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So you've seen throughout the letter, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians um, has been damaged. Uh, these false teachers, these super apostles, they've come in and they've criticised Paul and his ministry and and they've turned the Corinthians away from him. And Paul's found that hurtful. He's, he's spoken about that. But that's not his main concern. It's not his hurt that's his main concern. His main concern is that in turning away from Jesus' apostle, they are also turning away from the apostolic gospel. And here we see that Paul's about to return to visit them. And so he writes this letter, one commentator put it like this, he writes this letter as a kind of preemptive strike. That's what verse 10 is getting at. He wants them to, their relationship to be restored through their repentance so that his coming to them will go well, that it won't be a difficult uh, uh, um, meeting, that he'll be able to come to build them up in their faith instead of spending his time uh, dealing with them more severely. They need to be restored to him and therefore his gospel. Now, we might think that restoration to Paul and his teaching, well, that's just an issue for back then and in this particular situation. This is a kind of an old feud and that doesn't seem to have much relevance for today, but let's not assume that. I remember one occasion a few years ago, I did a talk at a Christian union at a school and afterwards, one of the teachers one who was a Christian, they came up to me and they asked me what I thought about Paul. And I wasn't talking about Paul, but they wanted to talk to me about that. And I said, so I said, well, you know, why? What's the question? Where's the question coming from? And they said, well, they felt that they could get on board with Jesus and his teaching, but not Paul's. 
they felt that they didn't need to listen to some of the things that Paul wrote today, that he was too condemning of certain things, things which we could no longer accept in the 21st century. Now that is a very Corinthian attitude, isn't it? But to do that is to abandon the teaching of Jesus' apostle. The one whom Jesus appointed and sent to teach his word to the church. Paul began 2 Corinthians by introducing himself like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Jesus and God, the Father, gave Paul that apostolic authority. And so we must listen to Paul as we listen to God. Not because he's equal with Jesus in his nature, and Paul, of course, is a sinner, but we listen to him because he teaches Jesus' word with Jesus' given authority. And that means even the bits that we don't like like the bits where he calls us to repent of our sins, and in particular here, of our social sins and our sexual sins. We must examine ourselves and realise that if we've rejected Paul's apostolic authority, we're at the same time rejecting Jesus' authority, because Jesus gave that authority to Paul. And so therefore we must be restored to Paul and to his gospel. That's the first restoration. Second, we must be restored to the Lord's people. This is verse 11 to 13. It's a bit rapid fire, these verses. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. So notice the relationships in view. It is in the family, brothers, brothers and sisters. And then six commands for life in the family of God. Rejoice, aim for restoration, Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace with one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's a family type way in that culture to greet those that you love. And remember what Corinth is like. All this is particularly difficult for the church in Corinth. We heard last time, last time we looked at it, that this was a church full of fractured relationships, difficult people. Not only have they fallen out with Paul, they've fallen out with each other. So Paul says that work hard to be restored to each other. Aim for restoration. And actually in doing that, they'll be restored to the churches around them too, uh, in the regions around us, verse uh, 13. If you remember at the beginning, I mentioned that one of the challenges of the Christian life is living in unity with other Christians in a church family. Christians are not perfect people. We're forgiven sinners who, by God's grace, are working on our sin to turn from it in repentance. But we're still in the process together. And so we need to bear with one another along the way. 
we are to always be looking for joy instead of grumbling. We're to be working hard to restore, to repair the damage when it's been done. We're to offer comfort, we're to strive for peace and we're to maintain the bonds of family-like relationship with each other, even with appropriate signs of physical affection, like a holy kiss. Now, I, I trust that we're not here in Chalmers as dysfunctional as the Corinthian church. I don't, think, I don't think we are. But living with each other and working with each other for the gospel is going to mean some tension from time to time between us because we're sinners. We're not always easy to get on with, at least I'm not. You can just ask my family um, about that. There are times when we're just plain irritating and there are times when we really sin against each other. Some of those things we know we've done and some we're unaware of. So we need to examine ourselves. And when we see the damage being done, well, we need to rebuild the wall, don't we? We need to repent. We need to aim for restoration with those that we've sinned against so that we might live in peace with them. And I wonder, do you need to do that here with someone tonight? If so, do it. Aim for restoration. Before we move on from this point, just one final thing. End of verse 11, there's a promise. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now that's not that he is with us because we do these things, as if it's some kind of reward. It's that he is with us as we do these things. He strengthens us, he helps us to achieve this kind of restoration. The God of love and peace is with us as we aim to be restored to one another. Final thing. We aim for restoration with God himself. Final verse, verse 14. Now, most of us are going to be familiar um, with the closing verse of 2 Corinthians. It's often used in Christian liturgy. Um, it's often referred to as the grace or saying the grace. Often it's used at the end of services as a way of closing a service. Um, I think that comes out of the Methodist tradition, as far as I'm aware. And you've probably heard the words added to the end, uh, be with us all evermore. Amen. Why does Paul, though, end his letter by praying for blessing from each of the members of the Trinity in this way. It's a, good, it's a good way to end a service, I think. But this is at the end of his letter. It's in the context of all of 2 Corinthians. What's it doing here? What's the point, what's the point in finishing like this? Well, the answer, I think, is that all that Paul has asked them to do to examine themselves, to, be, to repent, to be restored to Paul and his ministry, to each other, is also to be restored to God, to God himself. It's to set things right with him. But at the same time, this is a reminder to us as well that this is only possible by the work of God in our hearts and lives. 
It's a reminder that we're weak and that we need help. Paul prays for God to enable what he's already asked of these Corinthians throughout the letter. He prays for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays that they might know again the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Chapter 8. That they might know afresh the one who said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Chapter 12. They need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be at work in their hearts to bring about this change. And then the love of God the Father. They need to experience again the love of their heavenly Father who out of his great love for them sent his son Jesus to reconcile them to himself. Chapter 5. A father who longs for them to be reconciled to him as they turn back to him. Because he loves them. And they need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not just to experience fellowship with the Spirit on a sort of individual level. That's true. We do experience that. But I think here the focus is to experience the the Spirit's work of fellowship among them. To draw them all back to be restored together once more. Paul's desire that his great prayer is that they might know again God's work among them, his work of grace and love and fellowship. We've reached the end of the passage and the end of the book. 2 Corinthians is a letter to a church that is in danger of being led astray from authentic Christianity to a more impressive and strong-looking form that will get them far less pressure from the world around them. But to do that would be to end up with a different Jesus and a different spirit and a different gospel. And this letter is written to win them back. Paul reminds them that authentic Christian ministry is weak people proclaiming the grace and glory of the Lord Jesus in the power of the Spirit to reconcile people to God by faith. It looks very ordinary and unimpressive, but it is in fact the ministry of glory. And as the final verse reminds us, it is the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith and aim for restoration. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you once more for this great letter in the New Testament. We thank you for all that it's taught us about what it means to be a Christian, what Christian ministry is all about, what it means to hold tightly to the true, authentic gospel. But Lord, too, as we come to the end of this letter, we thank you what it's revealed to us about the need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us to see our own hearts, to see if there's anything in there that needs to be repented of, and if there's anything that needs to be restored, any broken relationships that we need to sort out, 
By your grace, would you help us? By your spirit, would you help us to restore what's been broken? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.